New on Curiosity Stream. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Are you all dressed up? Are you going to church? I gotta go show some. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go, but I gotta go to um, show some condos afterwards. Condos. Yeah. That How does that sound? You got a buyer for condos? Yeah, I think it's a good time to buy condos right now. Investor? Nope. First time no. buyer. First, First time buyer. First time buyer. Where? What is their price point? Can you divulge this? Uh, yeah, like the lower price points, probably 550, you know, it's like a bachelor or one bedroom. Where, where can you get downtown, that? Down, downtown, no parking. Bachelor, downtown, no parking, 375 square feet. No, close to like 500, just under, just over. Wow. And that's rare and ready to go. That's something that's built already. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm. So that's good. Is there lots of choices out there? You got lots of shows? Uh, lots yeah, of, lots like, of... like last weekend, I, I picked like the best of the best, and now I'm doing it again this weekend. We're in, in um, freeholds. You go out and you look at one house at a time. It's like, all right, there's a house. Drop your whole life. We need to go look at it, you know, because there's nothing. Condos, it's like, oh, you know what? Sunday at 2, whatever ones we can get to, to see at that time, we'll go, right? In a certain pocket or like wherever, as long as it's downtown. Um, we're eliminating pockets right now. So we're, gonna, we're looking at the mall and then we're saying, oh, you know, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. So Got it. yeah, just a process, you know, but different, different, different market. I was actually having a conversation with a few people recently, uh, agents, and I was letting them know, like, what an opportunity it is right now to buy in the condo market. Like, the freehold market's not going to be rising up another 20 or 30% in the next few years. You know, that's very unlikely, regardless of what happens with the economy and interest rates and everything else like that. But all these pre-construction condos are being sold at 14, 15, $1,600 a square foot. What do you think those people are going to want for their condos when they sell, you know, after they're built, they're going to want those prices at least. And right now you're buying at a thousand uh, bucks a square foot downtown on average so it's like you're going to have a, a 30 or 40% uh, uh, appreciation over the next three, four or five years, like almost guaranteed. Who's buying condos right now? Millennials. It's all they can afford. Where are all the baby boomers going to go? Condos. It's all they can afford, right? Newcomers. Where do they go? Condos. Rentals. Investors. What are they buying? Condos as rentals. Condos, sure. Right? It has to be so, condos. If you're looking at like, I want to build wealth as fast as possible and I want to be able to get, you know, a head start, don't buy the townhouse that you can barely afford and you got to get the ugly one that's on the main street that's, you know, wherever, just because, you know, you're, you're at the low, low end of the, this is for people at the very bottom of the freehold market, like the very, very bottom where they're just on the fence of getting it or not. Don't buy the worst one just because, because in the end, no one's going to want to buy that from you in three to five years and your appreciation will be a lot less. Instead, go and buy the best condo you can in the best building and the best location, stick it out for a while. And then chances are you'll be able to rent out that condo, suck out your, your equity, refinance, put that down on the house of your dreams when your income grows and all that kind of stuff. And now you'll have two properties and you'll be a lot richer for it. I read many books back in my day that said to buy the ugliest house on the best street. Okay. It, well, that's almost the opposite of what you're saying right now. Well, right? I'm not don't saying buy that, that like worst low point. Don't get in there. I'm, not, I'm saying don't but buy. What are the, you talking you know, about? Are you talking about like better on a percentage basis, like on a return basis? Yeah. If you're trying. Right. Okay. 
So, yeah. so rather than, than chase uh, an amount of money, which you may get more of buying a, a smaller house, uh, may, um, you're saying to buy a condo that will get you a better return over the next few years. There's, lo there's lots of people who that'll be a better option for them is to, yeah. is to buy a condo and they'll, they'll have more equity in five years than they would if they bought a freehold for sure. So, but, oh, we have Daniel Foch ready to come into the conversation, TK. This is going to be a really fun day. I'm excited. Me too. I'm going to be surrounded by wonderful realtors. And we have Daryl. Maybe, yeah. And you, all you guys get is me. What the, what kind of deal what is that? What a deal. What a deal. deal. Oh, and Jordan, yeah. everybody, everybody's converging at the same time. Yep. Hello. Hello. Well, they're Can right on time. Us? It's 10 o'clock. Right on time. Look at these guys. Can you hear us? Mm -hmm. Oh, you yeah. Can. can you hear me? We can hear yeah. you. We're live already. How you doing? No complaints. Good morning. Thanks. Thanks for joining Good us this morning. Oh, there you go. We got lots. We got lots okay. to talk about. We'll edit this out. <laughs> okay. okay. So that, so agreed, right, Daryl? About about there are people. I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm just saying that there are people who oh. will make a poor decision overpaying for a townhouse where they should have just bought a condo. Sure. I would take that townhouse if it needed a ton of work and I could put money into it and then sell it in a few years and it'd be like a really nice house Maybe. that was cheap. But Maybe. who knows? I'm, I'm, I don't know if I could do that. But that's right. where my head goes. Well, well let's start the show here, Daryl. Let's start talking about our opinions of what you and I should do. And that's let's uh, give people what they want to hear. Hear from the experts. So we've got right. Daniel Foch today from the Foch Family Real Estate Group. Uh, he's a realtor in York Region and Jordan Skrinko from Precon, specializing in pre-construction condos in Toronto. Both been our guests before on the show. So check out those episodes. And today we're going to talk all about real estate. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, I, I think you called me an expert. I would call Jordan certainly an expert. I don't know. I don't know if I figured that one out yet, but but yeah. Well, you, you're you experts in your fields. His yeah. mic looks way more like he's an expert than you at the moment. That is a very expert I must, microphone. Yeah, that is a sure. very expert microphone. But he 100%. needs them for those expert YouTube videos. Have you seen the, the top 10 worst condos in Toronto recently? No, I haven't. I haven't seen that one yet, actually. That was great. Is ice number one? You're still on, you're still on mute, uh, Jordan. Oh, we you can't just, hear you, bro. You just lost your expert status there. Oh, downgraded <laughs> instantly. That's not nice. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The 10, back. 10 worst back condos wasn't me. Wasn't you? No, no. That was Tom's story, I think. Oh, it was Tom's story. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So you got the wrong guy. Should I call <laughs> got Tom the wrong guy. get him on the show? Uh, Listen, let's pick this up next weekend. Can right? I, uh, how do you end this call with him? <laughs> can I press here? Yeah. Uh, so what funny. do you guys seen Sorry. out there? What's going on? Yeah. Is real estate still a thing? Are people still interested in real estate or what? Yeah, yeah, it's doing well. Um, I think a little bit of tightening in New York region. I, I, I feel like every once in a while, you kind of see these like little mini cycles where there's a bit of buyer exhaustion. And then I think it just runs again once people adapt to the fact that, you know, like it take, you need a big lump of, of buyers to capitulate on mass. And then when they do, they all just get back into the market and it seems to like run again. So I think that's, it just seems like that's how we're going. So like this little step up slowly, right? Yeah, yeah, York region's hot. Yeah, yeah pre-construction's hot as well. So, I mean, standing inventory at pre-construction projects is moving right now, moving very quickly. Um, and new launches are doing really well as well. There was like a, a, a moment where I felt like I was inundated with new launches all over the place. And then it just stopped like mm -hmm. nothing. Like I, I must have got, I don't know, 20 new launches in the last month. And then it died. What happened? I think a lot of people trying to, I mean, you, you know, we delayed a lot of launches, obviously, last year. A lot of builders just held off, played the wait and see game. Uh, we saw less units, less new units come to market. And then this year, you know, a couple of developers take their chance. They launch, they do well. Other developers are watching, obviously. And they go, now's our chance. And obviously, people want to launch before year end, right? Nobody wants to launch in December when people have their mind on the holidays rather than on worksheets. So, um, yeah, you got to try to get it in before the, before the end of the year. Right. 
Well, and so maybe this is a good segue into the main topic that uh, we, we all got together to discuss, and that's uh, Evergrande. Evergrande in China. Uh, you guys reached out saying you wanted to kind of have a little discussion about that, which is great because I don't think there's enough people talking about that around here. I don't think anybody's really talking about what the effects are going to be on Toronto. I haven't found much of that or any of that at all. So I'd love to know from, I mean, I'm surrounded by three amazing realtors right now. I'm in like heaven right now. What, what do you guys think? I mean, this is a major story, this uh, Evergrande. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think they don't want it to be a major story because like the in Canadian real estate, we're still sort of pretending as though like FDI doesn't drive the market and, and Jordan might be able to, to elaborate on, on how much of an impact it has on the pre-con side. But like the only people that are really, in my opinion, overpaying in the market are, are FDI and it makes sense, right? Foreign direct investment. Um, it makes sense because they, they're not familiar with the micro that the local micro so that, you know, they don't have the context of what an extra five, two to five to 10% might be on price. Um, I, I, I've seen so many different stats on how big of a portion um, investment from China, investment from Iran, investment from Russia plays within our market. Um, so I think that the lack of transparency and clarity on, on what that data is gives us a difficulty in understanding the magnitude of it. And I think that's what the government probably wants because they're a little bit under fire for sort of, you know, pawning off the housing or creating this housing Ponzi scheme with foreign direct investment and sacrificing affordable housing in, in the, you know, to, to accomplish that, I suppose. Yeah. I think, I think the, lack of, rich. the lack of yeah. clarity on the data is huge to me. Uh, we really don't know, like on the pre-construction side, I can tell you that a lot of the developers I speak to, um, and obviously our website ranks uh, very, very well in Google. So we get a fair amount of foreign buyer uh, inquiries. Um, but in terms of our buyer pool, like 95, 98% of our business is domestic. Um, and when you talk to developers, like I was just talking to one the other day about uh, an 800 unit project and of the 800 units, maybe four or five are, are true foreign purchasers. The question is then how much of that, how much of the capital is flowing from places like China and just being invested through someone who has a PR? Because it's very hard to track something like that, obviously, right? Uh, that's uh, how a lot of capital gets out of China is boots on the ground. So it's very difficult to, very difficult to like recently foreign wealth is a whole other story than foreign buyers. Um, and obviously like with, um, you know, with, with the zero COVID policy, like nobody in, nobody out. Um, the, the question becomes like when borders open up a little bit more, it gets a little bit easier, uh, to invest, you know, in Canada, Australia, wherever at, but wherever else, um, you know, wealthy Chinese people invest, um, are we going to see an uptick in, in that, uh, in that capital flow? I would imagine so. Um, but I'm not really a big macro guy, like as far as Evergrande, like they, Dan, they've missed what three, three bond payments now. No, yeah, they they're... just made their bond payment like yesterday, I think it is. Okay. Yeah. What one of them? They, yeah. Well, okay. the one what? the one that was in default, they just made. Here, I'm gonna put it up on the screen here. Yeah. So but I, I think guess big... I think what's going on here though is like first of all, let's but let's back up a little bit because what it's being compared to, this whole situation is like Lehman Brothers, okay? Right. So, so tell me, guys, where were you guys? What were you doing? How old were you in 2007, 8, 9, when all hell was breaking loose because of this Lehman Brothers thing? I was a uh, tail end of high school. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> so, and that, uh, and that was, was my beginning of the real estate career. So I was like, you know, doing a few deals a year and I was super happy about it. So I wasn't as exposed to, um, yeah. you know, as much of it. But so let Darryl, me tell you let's hear let me, your story. <laughs> let me tell you though, because it's a yeah. I guarantee you, we all have a very different perspective on what's going on right now and its potential impact. Because I held two really expensive properties that I had redeveloped at uh Leslie and Lawrence. Okay, like big went way in over my head. I barely had any capital in the deals, and the market went upside patriot. down, right? But I was like this thing's going to go on forever and this is amazing and I can get all this funding and like, go, 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 go. 
And you know who's going to have money to buy these when the market goes to shit? The rich people. They have money all the time. They're going to have more money. They're going to buy this. And, and it, went, it went the exact opposite way. The rich people stopped buying right away because they're smarter than everybody else. And they just sat there and waited to pick my bones when there was nothing left, no meat left on the bone. There was like negative meat. So for me, going into this thing that they compare to Lehman, I get a little nervous. Right. So it's so, it's so easy to draw a comparison to Lehman Brothers because the capital amount on the first three bond payments that were missed is exactly 600 million, right? US dollars. So it's like the magnitude is identical, but the, the, it's a completely ignoring that just in the last two years, the monetary economy has almost doubled in size, right? Like the amount of capital that's circulating is almost doubled in size. So you could basically like hypothetically just slash the actual magnitude of that in half. In half. But, and that's, that's ignoring how much the economy has grown since 2008 period, right? Then... You're also saying, okay, Lehman Brothers happened in the U.S. and it happened in a very capitalistic banking system, right? Whereas China is, you know, with the central economic zones or whatever they're called, um, you know, they have created a system that's almost more like Canada's banking system, a little bit more oligopolistic, a few market leaders, very domestically strong. Um, and, and so I I can't see it having a, a systemic ripple effect like Lehman Brothers. So it's I think only the dollar amount really is comparable to Lehman Brothers and the global significance of it. Um, and again, like there's not there's not two thousand institutions lending out money in in China to on ninja loans. Like, don't get me wrong, their real estate market is insanely frothy. But I think that there's this other phenomenon that you see, and this is what Canada sees a lot of, where a lot of people in China who have made it because their, their system is basically, if you, if you examine Marxism at its core, Marx basically said that in order, a good, strong communist system would be built on the, on the back of a strong capitalistic system. And so that's sort of what, you know, some people are implying the idea here of, of these central economic zones. I think it's seven or eight cities in China where they basically said, these cities are now capitalists and they did a damn good job at it. Like these cities just exploded in size. And you look at like Beijing, like her, Shenzhen, like the seventies to today. And it's like nuts. Like nobody has ever done this at this scale. And they're building like towers that would take six, seven years to get from entitlement to completion. And in Canada, they're doing it in like two, three months. Like they, they just have blown everybody out of the water and how quickly they can produce. So every, like, it's like, they can produce here. faster than, than people can fill the units. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that, again, like you, you're experiencing this unprecedented growth, it's going to correct at some point. I don't know, like, and nobody really knows because nobody knows whether or not they're like, we didn't even know at the beginning of this, even I'm thinking even like pre COVID, you know, they're getting caught like falsifying GDP numbers and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, it's, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's the, the, um, they're counterfeiting everything in China, you know, fake Nikes, whatever. It's like, they're even doing it with their GDP numbers. So it's, it's tough to really understand, right? Um, over there, over here, I think it's you. You have to wonder whether it's going to either cause a change in the way that that Chinese individuals think about real estate globally, period, or it's going to cause. So that's like probably the bear case, and and then or it could cause a flight to quality in, into Canadian real estate, which we've seen. Right, we saw that when the Hong Kong stuff started. We saw we've seen it for the past, and that's sort of what I how I started this this rambling um, was that you're starting to see wealthy Chinese individuals who are afraid that the that the state might say, "Oh, this business is nice. We like this. Can we have that?" Um, and so they're starting to move money into Canada, and they're moving into Canadian real estate. And our land registry system is different than theirs. It's one of the strongest ones in the world, um, and, and they like that. And and so I I think it's just as likely that a Lehman Brothers style collapse happens that it could create one of the biggest bull runs we've seen into the Commonwealth uh, real estate. Right. And I, I actually would say that I would weigh the odds to be almost identical. Yeah. I would, I'd say they're probably heavily in the favor of that. Right. It just makes sense. I just yeah. can't help, but have this eerie feeling of, uh Oh, not again. Right. Yeah, I don't know if this is the straw. Like something's gonna happen. Like we've, you know, with the amount of risk that we've introduced, and like basically completely 
blown the the class mobility in the world like i think that the amount of money that's been been pumped into the economy has made it so that and you're seeing it with crypto you're seeing it with stocks like you know the gme and all these options and stuff it's like if people want to get from the lower middle class to the upper middle class they literally the only way they can do it pretty well the only way they can do it is to take an insane amount of risk right so that eventually i think that's more likely to be systemic uh, and, and create what would be probably the next bubble than something like what's happening in China, where you have very experienced politicians and and businesses running or running running what's happening there, right? So, and what happens simultaneously? Let's say they do go down or they change drastically because they're one of the biggest out there. All of the things that depend on them and all of the materials that they need now need to go elsewhere. And so, what does that do to the uh, availability of all of these things and the price of all of these things. And then how does that affect the new construction? Because right? Right. if we already think we're going to have this tsunami of humans coming in before all of this happened, Ooh. now we have this tsunami of humans with a lot of cash coming in and we're in a crisis of supply. And now all of a sudden the product like the, 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 all the products are God knows they're supposed to be going here. Now they're not going here. They're like at some port over there. Now they need to come here. How much do they cost? Are they even usable? Like what the hell's going to happen with all this stuff? Well, I mean, the latest, um, the latest report I saw on labor and materials for uh, just new low rise construction is 23% year over year. That's the increase we're currently facing, right? And some developers will tell you, like, they know of developers who aren't launching, um, aren't launching, you know, condo developments on land that they're sitting on specifically because they're not sure where or what these supplies are going to cost. So it's really hard to build out a pro forma and hit, hit your profit targets for construction financing when you're not even really sure where the cost of those materials are going to be when you're, when you're ordering. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then if you apply in like five months, all of a sudden you have inclusionary zoning. Yeah. I mean, it's the perfect storm of replacement cost um exceeding far above and, and beyond you know in replacement cost it, you, people think like the resale asset you know class is 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 mooning is is uh, skyrocketing and it is it's appreciating rapidly um with very little signs of, uh, of slowing um but i think like the co- the replacement cost of housing is is um is inflating quite a bit quicker for sure we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago where um luxury home builder. She builds large homes. And we were asking those questions. And it seems like she's able to really get a, a grip on the cost of uh, construction materials and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like not only that is that the end user is also understanding and, and almost sympathetic for the builders. And they're almost saying like, we understand that, you know, in order to get this project complete, there may be changes down the road. And so I think in the beginning of COVID, that was like unheard of. It's like, what do you mean I got to pay an extra $60,000. I can't believe that you're a crook. Now it's like, Hey, I get it. You know, keep yeah. my project on time. I've heard about all these horror stories that it could be, you know, yeah. a year delayed. I, I don't want to be homeless. I want my dream home. I want it for Christmas, summer, whatever. And that people are more understanding. And I think that's helping builders right now. I, I, I could, I could believe that in the luxury segment for sure. I haven't seen a whole lot of builder sympathy in Toronto though. I tell you that much. Not on the condo side. No, no. <laughs> Oh, here, sir, here, here's an extra 10%. <laughs> Thank you for letting me buy this, sir. The funny one is like in, in detached stuff, like up, up here, you know, a couple of um, plans of subdivision that, that were done you know, a long time ago, but they're going out and asking uh, buyers for, for cash, right. To top up the, the difference. And th- these are like, you know, so, and, and not small either, like, you know, 150, 250 K on, on homes. Um, or else what? Or else what? Right. What's going on? Are they agreeing? Are they agreeing? Yeah, I mean, I think that like basically, so without saying too much, like there's purchasers who have agreed and then there's purchasers who haven't. And the people who haven't haven't lost their deals yet. Right. So I don't I don't really know if it's within their they? But that's a good that's a great question, right? Like I don't know if it's if it borders on like a force majeure kind of thing. But anyway, I mean, I, I think that the whole concept is like to me, and this goes back to the Evergrande stuff, it's like we've really broken the way that our economy functions. Like the fact that, you know, you can go and violate a, a, a transaction or at least attempt to like that in some random way 
you know, that and like just the meaning of money in general, like I, I think that the past two years have really, really broken the way that and I think politicians are realizing that they they've lost control of their most valuable asset, which is the economy. Um, and the way that wealth is being distributed is just not not at all in favor of, of them. So I'm interested to see how this all plays out. And China is a really good example of it, because, you know, that's that I, I think probably the most likely end scenario of this is that that Evergrande basically just becomes a, a state um, run organization, right? Like, I actually don't see a scenario in which that that does that isn't the ending of it. 100%. It seems like that's the end game with many of their recent decisions, whether it be the real estate market, the tech market, the education market, the gaming market, they are looking to I think chop the legs out from under the powerful, wealthy upper class that's been created from this capital environment that they created. They're like, um, thank you for bringing us here, but uh, we'll we'll take over from here. Thank you. Right, right. And that like it's that's common, and that's like with the experience of a lot of um, foreign investors that I have that that are bringing capital over from China. That's the sentiment that I hear. It's that they want their money out of out of the country, or at least a portion of it, um, where it can't be taken from them. And and if it's tied to a hard asset like Canadian land or whatever it is, it gives you the understanding, right? Of of and I think that that's that's when people are like, oh, you know, they can they're they're buying at two caps or negative cap rates or whatever. It's like, well, that's their ulterior motive. In some cases, I would I would say, yeah. We are seeing money laundering and it's pretty, pretty rampant in Canada, but I don't think that that's the primary objective of a lot of people. Like, and it's the same with Iranian investors, right? A lot of them just want their money on Canadian soil and in Canadian soil. I think fear is, is such a huge motivator, right? Like just right. hearing about all this stuff. I mean, we're doing a podcast on it. People taking their money out, just afraid that their investments are going to be taken from the government. That, that takes a lot of money out of China, especially Hong Kong, right? With, with how everything was working. Lehman brothers, Everyone was afraid because of, you know, they're hearing this global financial crisis. It's like, now's not the time to buy. And I think that that's going to be the, um, the catalyst for the next major change is that there's just going to be a ton of fear. Go back to April uh, 21st, 2017, they announced the foreign virus tax. And then, you know, the stress test was implemented and that the B20 measures came out. And it was just like, really, it didn't affect the average buyer whatsoever. And all of a sudden, everyone just went dark in one day. It was just like yeah, the next day, everyone said, no, I don't want to buy anymore. And the market tanked. Right. Or it's just like, I'm going to just wait and see how this plays out because I really don't need to buy right now. Right. So if I'm wrong, fuck. And if I'm right, that was a close one. Right. Because it could go, yeah. it could go bananas. It, listen, if a $300 billion company does all of a sudden, I mean, I guess if it goes government, I don't know what the hell the effect of that is. That, that, well, that's that's got to have just, some kind of crazy ramification, I would imagine. Well, that that's where the flight to quality scenario plays out from my perspective. It's like, okay, like, you know, and it was the same with like when Jack Ma like went missing, right? It's like they, they get a little way with a lot of shit over there, right? Like, and, and that's, I mean, this is probably the, our, our new global, you know, like superpower. So maybe we should like start paying attention to this all over the world, right? for for better or worse i'm like trying not to get whacked right now by like backing my walking myself back but uh <laughs> but um but the i think that when the it's bigger and bigger magnitude like if it's alibaba and then it's evergrande like if these things start getting then then i think that you're going to see more and more people who are like had ambitions to start an evergrande or start an alibaba where they're like yeah. shit maybe i'm i gotta get out of here in america yeah yeah and like so yeah where and then, can i and, go and their right. investors too will be more hesitant Right? Exactly. And, and so I then want to fund you that, to find out. Right. Yeah. And that's what happens is all of a sudden the, the buzzword is contagion. OK, yeah. so all of a sudden everybody's going, hey, what's going on over there? Could it could it be? Hey, last time. Not so good. Maybe we shouldn't launch right now. Maybe we should launch right now. Maybe we should all launch right now. Or like who knows what that the, what it's going to be. But people are deaf. It, it, it isn't just the four of us guys talking about this, right? There's no. some guys with some monstrous amounts of money to park or, or to get out of being parked like right now because of this thing. And there's probably some guys that are fucking worried that there is going to be contagion, that people are going to start wondering like, what the hell's going on here? What can, what can the ramifications here be from this? So, it's $300 yeah. billion. Dollars. 
Yeah. So if you're imagining like that, the American empire still maybe has control over the world, which I don't really know. And I'm not, not super well versed in the geopolitical, but I think that it serves them to watch this collapse. Right. Like, I think that if shit gets ugly and if all of the, the, you know, like the wealthy individuals maybe have a distrust for the CCP or whatever, and start moving capital out out of of China. And you do see this, you know, massive fear-based thing. I mean, one, they can blame the next global financial collapse on, on China, which I think everybody's really been wanting to do, or at least like, you know, there's some there's some element of that there and then two would be you know that that capital starts flowing out and going to other places right and then three would be that they're on the ground and you can kick them while they're down or whatever right so i don't i don't know if there's like outside of china i don't think there's a huge incentive to stop things from happening because like supply chain like everything reliance on on chinese goods like these things are already completely butchered as a result of COVID. anyway i think christmas is probably going to show us that yeah right yeah so this might just be like the last the last thing to, to get them where maybe the world wants them to be. I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't thought about that element enough. Um, I just I, I just really think about like what happens to the money that comes out of there. Right. Because like, we know it goes through Hong Kong. We know the most likely place for it to land is within the Commonwealth. Yeah. So I was thinking this morning, like, is this just an event that has to happen in a maturing real estate market like has toronto had our ever grande moment in the past or do we have it coming because i mean this thing is rocking and socking too i mean you could definitely i don't know if we have as many vacant units and we're definitely not pumping shit out uh at at the rate that they are but i mean the demand is certainly here we're definitely in, in crisis there's no one disputing that like i think so i think that there are like a you can't ignore the cyclicality of, of supply and demand and, and property. Right. But I still, I still think Toronto is very early, like by, you know, and Jordan, you posted this with the, the UBS bubble index, right? Like it's like by all the metrics that they actually use to evaluate what a bubble is, we're fine. We're not even close to your Hong Kong, London, et cetera. They just, I just don't think that UBS, and this is like something I was joking about on Twitter. Like I actually think that European people don't, understand that Toronto can be a world-class city. Vancouver can be a world-class city to the caliber of London and Hong Kong because they don't fly there because they have no reason to. Right. Um, But, and so to me, it's like UBS, I mean, they've been wrong. Like, I think we were number one, the number one bubble in 2017, which was post non-resident speculation tax, like after GTA values had come down, come off 30% and they call this the number one bubble. Right. So um Aren't yeah, we the number one bubble still? Like, don't oh, I, number, I think we're all, number two now, right? Oh, two maybe now, number yeah. two. But okay. who made who made UBS the the decider, right? Like, who who gave them yeah. the power to say, "Hey, you're going to decide which yeah. exactly, right?" So, no, but hold on a sec. So, was was Cressford our Evergrande moment, or um, <laughs> I don't is... think we'll have something of that scale. Like, I think that you would just see like a US, like our banking system is too strong and too globally significant, and and the banks don't want the houses, so you won't ever see a file sale fire sale scenario we can't foreclose right or we we don't right so you see power of sales it'll take it would take literally like it would be like the 90s it would take two to five years for us to go from peak to trough and there's enough time for people to trade in and out of that like if you're not an idiot you're probably okay right on in the like on an individualized basis that's a yeah that's an interesting point so so what happens next so as this is happening we're also seeing um a very big change in how currency and and the financial markets work with, with cryptocurrencies. Right. So, so those are obviously sooner than later going to start getting adopted into real estate and buying condos. And soon you're going to be able to buy it with uh, Dogecoin or Ethereum or whatever, right. Bitcoin. Um, What's that going to do? Cause that, that has to be coming soon. Right. I mean, you got all these, young crypto bajillionaires and they don't have anywhere to spend the money right like isn't real estate the perfect place to park a bunch of that money outside of the the, the crypto sphere yeah. you know it's funny i just had a a young client actually the other week who has uh who yeah who took a, a bunch of his crypto gains um, and bought a, a 1.5 million dollar pre-construction condo. He's not the first person I've seen. Oh, this year. how did they pay Mark. for it though? They had to cash out and then use those Precisely. funds. Yeah, that's not the same. It's not efficient. No, 100. It's not. I'm 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 waiting excitedly for Bitcoin or crypto collateralized loans. 
Um, that'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, no, that's exactly what he did. Um, and, uh, his opinion on it was just, he's, you know, uh, made all this money really quickly in crypto, uh, in his opinion, mostly accidentally. Um, right. and, uh, just wants to park it in something a little bit safer for the long term, uh, which I can understand. I, right. Like I, I remember, uh, back three, four years ago, I had a bunch of, uh, not a bunch, but a few people who had made a ton of money on, um, on like weed stocks who took those gains and bought condos with it. And again, same idea, you know, I accidentally made all this money. I'm not a day trader. I'm not a crypto trader. I need to park this wealth into something, um, you know, more stable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what? And they, and they got out at the right time. Yeah. Probably not actually. Why you think it's still going to go up? Guys Everything's going to keep they going They got into up. real estate a few years ago out of weed stocks. They made a killing. Their yeah. real estate's now gone oh, up weed, and yeah. they got but out. But the weed, weed stocks, stocks are going to come time. back again. Oh, They're okay. all going to consolidate and go, go crazy. Nah, like four weeks. No, anyways. But but let's right. imagine this my, world. I'll my call options tomorrow. Yeah, you guys are <laughs> Four-week expired. Yeah, this is not. Flamer or whatever. This is, yeah, this is not. Uh, financial <laughs> advice this is for entertainment purposes only do your own due diligence no but seriously like imagine a world where okay the floodgates are open we're trying to get four hundred thousand plus real people coming in now not just paper being shuffled from one ledger to the other like actual human beings for them to hit their target this year actual human beings are going to have to come in so now we have human beings racing to come in, all kinds of money racing to come in, the digitalization of payments for this stuff, which will now make it a much more liquid market and tradable, right? Like people will start buying like, like some guy who bought Shiba Inu three weeks ago will buy six condos with it now, right? Because he just made a billion dollars because he was stupid and put a thousand dollars in four weeks ago. I'm not even kidding. So, so the, this is the environment we're actually moving towards. Is there right. anything price deflationary about this? No, and that's what I'm like. That's what I'm saying about. Like, I think the global we still like they pumped so much money into the economy through QE and and all these other programs that the reality is that hasn't even started making it into the consumer economy yet. Like when when they talk about like inflation and hyperinflation, like. I actually think it's like not maybe not hyperinflation, like to the thousands of percents, but yeah, I think we'll be inflationary for, for years. Right. But that doesn't mean that significant financial events won't happen that will, that can and will screw a lot of people. Like it doesn't, if if Evergrande defaults and becomes a state run company and all the investors have to take zeros on their, on their investment or whatever, or maybe their pre-cons don't get built and they, they get their capital has been tied up for three years and they get no return on it or whatever. Right. In, on, a, on an individualized basis, there's going to be suffering, right? But I, I think that as long as you're basically out there and, you know, the, the four of us have it great because our, our income is tied to that inflation, right? So, you know, as long as you're out there making money and converting it to assets as efficiently as humanly possible, I think you're okay. It's when you start getting into crazy, stupid shit like Shiba Inu and stuff like that, where people really, I mean, some people do great, you know, but it's like trying to make it to the NHL. Like every Canadian kid thought they were going to do it in grade two, you know, and how many do you know that did it? Right. So, yeah, you only see that you only see the lottery tickets that paid off. Right. Right. Like that's that's sure. the reality. No one posts their crypto losses. Right. No, not too many people are out there on Instagram going, look at all the millions I lost. This is great. It's, it's really true. So, so tell me, Jordan, recently, like, has there been a, poor launch like has there been a poorly received launch recently no no not really like what Uh, is the most recent poorly received launch you can remember well you know it's interesting so i talk with all uh, obviously like other uh, other pre-construction brokers who move a couple hundred units a year all the time and and it's interesting to me how one of us will do really well on a launch while someone, uh, someone else will just, the launch will fall flat, right? So, um, I, you know, there's all kinds of examples where like, I'll do incredibly well on one. The project just really does, uh, you know, really resonates with our database. And then 
someone else just can't seem to move a unit at the same project. So it's really fragmented. It always has been like that. Um, but as far as like a project that that has had really like struggled hitting their sales targets, uh, I can't think of one recently. Isn't that crazy? What about perch? Yeah, I guess. I mean, like like you're seeing, you know, like in the more premium, like luxury pockets, like Yorkville, like you're seeing these things launch, you know, 30% above resale. Um, and it's being absorbed, right? Like, is there a change in the in the uh, number of foreign purchasers at all as a result of Evergrande? Uh, oh, no, not not that I've noticed. I mean, I I think this whole year the number of foreign purchasers that are at least foreign purchaser requests that we've had has dropped dramatically. Dropped. Yeah. Right. Okay. Why? Do you have any any idea yeah. why you think that is? I don't have a lot of insight. I mean, in the last few weeks, we've had a, an uptick in specifically Hong Kong. I'm working with a lot of buyers from Hong Kong right now, um, right. which is atypical for me. I normally don't. Um, but prior to that, the year has been really quiet for any foreign purchasers, at least on my end. Interesting. Well, I wonder if that's like, so what I've noticed is in the industry, you guys, the... Uh, uh, um, Platinum agents have really become the brands, right? Like you have, you're basically your own little shops, right? Who are selling other products. So it, it may be as a result of like, this is just your clientele isn't into the same thing that somebody else's client base is into, no? Oh, like 100%. I imagine it's like we're not the biggest movers of, uh, of foreign uh, capital by any means. Like there are, condo there are brokers in the, it, exactly. There are brokers in the city who specialize a lot more than me in um, foreign purchases. Yeah. But that, that, that would be an interesting thing to find out because I mean, it's gotta be, uh, I mean, who are they buying from? Everybody, like everybody says other than Brad lamb, everybody says it's like 95% is local. Brad Lamb says it's all foreign investment, but everybody else says it's all local. So like who's everybody else though? Like the people selling the units or like the, the media and like government reporting. No, agents? I mean like the developers that I, that I know right. Jordan is saying like 98%, I think he said 95 to 98%. He just said it right. of his, um, I, I mean, I know quite a few developers also, and they all for the most part, I mean, other, there's certain developers that are definitely targeting the foreign investor, like. Um, uh, well, look, uh, so look, of my four of my four current Hong Kong uh, clients, um, three of the four, one of the one of the two of them has Canadian PR, so they're not foreign buyers, right? right. Technically, they're not recorded as a foreign buyer. They live in Hong Kong, right? Their money's made in Hong Kong, um, but one of them has PR, so they're not recorded as as a foreign buyer, right? And so it's, you know, you could say it's foreign capital, but not for, not a technically, you know, legal description, not a foreign buyer. Right. Um, and I think that's the majority of, uh, like, I think if, if you were to say, okay, well, uh, maybe, maybe true foreign buyers paying the, you know, the 15% um, uh, tax is, is, is maybe 5% of pre-construction purchases. Um, but how much is, is recently foreign capital it might be 20, 30%. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I guess another question would be like, how many of the LPs, like how, like when it comes to financing these bills, right. how much of that is foreign capital? Cause I would imagine right. that's a bigger percentage. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's where you're going to see the FDI because pri private equity isn't taxed the same as, as a, an acquisition. Right. Um, and I would agree with you, Jordan, like we see it the same way. And I even saw a deal this year that was delayed. Basically the people increased their purchase price because they were waiting for their PR um and it would have saved percent, right yeah so i like and it was it was kind of dumb to begin with because they shouldn't have purchased when they prior to having it but i guess they expected it to be done or whatever i don't know but so i think that you do see a lot of foreign direct investment happening through pr since non-resident speculation tax happened right and i think everybody knew that that was going to happen like that that was the easiest most likely circumvention for of the non-resident speculation tax um i i think and so I guess the, the bigger question becomes, and this is like something I've actually just heard sort of like boots on the ground from trades where they're like, we're doing PDIs, every name on the, on the, you know, when they're going through the whole list of, of purchasers is, you know, a non-Caucasian name. And so they're like, 
we would make the assumption from there that, you know, greater than 50% of, or greater, you know, is maybe not foreign direct investment, but in some way, capital that's related with non-Canadian economic activity, right? And so that's sort of the, that's the big question from my perspective is. And I think it's misleading, right? I think that's misleading is when we see ethnic agents who are doing pre-construction or even resale or whatever it is, and all their clients are all from their community. And it's just like, oh, where are all these people? I mean, there's just a lot of people in Canada who are born in other countries who are permanent residents or citizens that buy real estate. Like even when I talk to other agents who are like in the Sri Lankan communities and and Indian and everything else, all of their clients are Canadian, like every single one of them. And they're doing high volume of transactions as well too. Right. So I I would see that it would be probably pretty similar in pre-construction. Right. That a lot of these people are here. Yeah. It's almost like they're using like, you know, and some of the people that I hear making these like just wildcard estimates are like people who are using like the dirty South American version of like foreign investor, you know, like where it's not like actually the tax law defined version of what foreign investment is. Right. Yeah. Basically calling people foreigners, which is not. And who gives a fuck any, but anyways, like do any of us care? No, No, the units have to get built. Like the, those units need to get, somebody needs to buy those units for that sure. supply to come to the resale market to help domestic, you know, uh, demand actually like equate properly, right? Like well, those units have to get built. So someone has to buy them. Um, as far as I'm concerned, like whether it's recently foreign capital or domestic, totally domestic demand, either way, like it's a good thing. Like right. the, the, the more, sure. de- like, more units the- developers can sell, the more we can deliver and the, the quicker we can fix the supply issue in Toronto, and, right? And that's our segue to our next topic of the vacancy tax, because right. what a what a good motivator, whether it works or not, what a good motivator for whoever's buying these units to say, you can't just buy them and keep them vacant. You got to rent them out because we need supply, right? So, yeah. So before we jump on that, I just want like the, the last piece there is one thing people don't realize when they're complaining about people buying at negative cap rates or whatever, if somebody's losing money, they're so like, that is it's socialism. They're literally economically, they're socializing the cost of affordable housing, right? So they're doing the market a favor. They're not like, yeah, sure. That, that causes an inflation of price, but if they're renting something out and their carrying cost is 2,500 bucks a month and they're renting it out for $2,000 a month, they're absorbing the cost of providing housing that's more affordable than ownership would have been for that end use. So, so all pre-construction condo investors are socialists? No, but they're socialists. No, just the ones that are <laughs> underwater at the moment. Just most of them. Well, you're just, yeah. you're basically just pawning Negative. off the cost of the government's inability to properly develop affordable housing. You're pawning that off on the economy and, and it's been working yeah. for years. Well, but yeah, and you, we you've got them. the we government. Need, we need those people. But you've and got the like, government and, behind your sales blowing a ton of cash into appreciating that asset that you may have lost on month to month. But like when you sell it, it went up $8 trillion, right? We need those retail investors just as much as we need the capitalistic ones. For sure. Right. We need, we need them both equally. Otherwise the market's just full of people trying to make money and people get pushed out. And right now, so what's happening in New Brunswick is all these guys who have now bought these properties in New Brunswick who thought, oh, I'm going to go there. Rents have doubled. Prices are up a little bit, but I'm going to do so well. They're getting vacant. I have a bunch of investors that I talk to. They're they're all getting vacancies within three months. They're having a hard time managing, hard time finding repairs. They're having people steal things. They're having so much stuff because the people who are paying these rents are not happy. They're like, screw you, Mr. Ontario investor who's living somewhere else. My rent used to be 600 bucks and now it's 12, right? And I'm just going to stay here now for a bit. All of a bit. sudden they get to feel what it's like to be the foreign investor, right? I'm going I'm to not pay for a few months, take off, let you do your thing because you're not going to chase me. New Br- I had a lender who told me the only place that he would not do any um, of, his, of his deals was New Brunswick because of the type of legal system they have for small claims court and all that stuff. It's basically like, you know, impossible to chase people in New Brunswick compared to other provinces. So he's lending money and he's like, the only province I don't do it is New Brunswick because he tried to chase people for money there before and it was very tough. So this is what people are dealing with and people don't want to pay more rent. Too on the way in, right? Say that again. The double tax, is it double land transfer or some sort of holding tax? No, land transfer tax is low there. It's very low. It's reasonable. I know Nova Scotia is proposing some sort of, uh, you know, outside province uh, tax, but... Um, um, so I, I think the, the concept of like socializing that cost segues nice to the, the vacant uh, vacancy tax, because I think that from my perspective, the landlord and tenant board is a, another vehicle in which they 
actually socialize the cost of affordable housing and such that they make it very difficult to evict a tenant and and that allows the tenant to perhaps live for free for six to 12 months uh you know and and again talking about small claims court system what you're going to go shake a tenant down for 10 20 grand it's going to cost you 10 to 20 grand to do that and garnish their wages like you really just have to be a spiteful individual to to want to to do that um so for me it's like the fact that we even have a vac have to do a vacancy tax tax is interesting because it they're basically just breaking the system more because it's already broken, right? And now we're starting to assault the rights of owners because they can't fix their the system that was designed to protect. But but, but are we really going to be assaulting anybody? Like, is there going to be? Well, a I don't actually. Impact, I don't right? actually feel that way. But yeah, like, that's yeah. that that's that's the concept here, right? The concept behind it. Yeah, I think they don't want to collect any revenue. They just want to be able to say, hey don't leave your units vacant, put them into the inventory, either sell it or not. But here's a whole bunch of exemptions, which will allow you to keep it vacant, which most people that I know with a vacant house fall under one of those exemptions. It's amazing. Yeah, too. I know people who just buy houses and leave them empty for no reason. I mean, that's you not have my to, clientele. You have to state that it's empty. So, I mean, seems to me right at the beginning of this, there is a potential issue. Right. No, the, yeah. honor, the honor system is very reliable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's worked so well right? for everybody. The, yeah, the, yeah. It's yeah. so like to me, this is and it, the timing was impeccable, right? Like it's right before inclusionary zoning comes out. Like this is the these are the people they, they wanted to look like they champion some sort of affordable housing thing. And it's the it's the low-hanging fruit. It's like what can we do? What what bill can we pass that actually accomplishes absolutely nothing mm-hmm. that looks like we tried to do something? And that's and, what, you know, yeah. That's what we keep saying is it's like, it's to just make an enemy. It's like a smoke screen. It's like, right. It's like, Hey, look, those goddamn foreigners fucking up the whole market. Now our kids can't fucking buy a house. We're going to have to go into our savings and buy them a fucking house. Like, like everybody else down the street or our, our kids won't have what everybody else has because of the damn foreigners. Right. Yeah. But that's (laughs) also like, look, the few people who maybe do buy a condo and leave it vacant on purpose. Um, like they're absorbing 4% a year anyways. Right. So, so by not renting like the average yield on a condo is like 3.54% purchase price annually. So you're taxing yourself. In fact, by leaving it vacant, you're taxing yourself 4% a year um, is assuming like assuming the honor system works and people state the units vacant uh, is 1% going to change that right. individual's mind who's yeah. already absorbing a 4% loss per yeah, you, of course yeah, they're, right. they're targeting the irrational consumers. It's like, yeah. so let's dumb. take the people who don't give a shit about the economics of a deal and figure yeah. out a way to make the economics worse. Yeah. Let's just steal <laughs> yeah. a little more from those guys. It'll be easy. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause who's gonna, yeah, that's just free money. Right. Yeah, so far it hasn't worked. There's no, there's no evidence in any uh, Vancouver, UK, France, Melbourne. Um, I think Ottawa's got one coming up. Ottawa's got one starting next year. Nobody's ever been able to say like vacancy taxes created more supply in our cities or provinces or countries. It's never worked once. All they've done is actually increase the tax. So they'll introduce it at X rate, and after a year it doesn't work. So they like double, triple, five x the rate. And that just shows that it wasn't working at the lower rate. So they try to make more incentive and it still doesn't work. So we're just yeah, heading down these, that road. It's the same these, thing as like DCs to me, right? Like they increase DCs and they're like, oh, all this money is going to go to creating affordable housing. And then a couple of years later, they're like, oh yeah, inclusionary zoning. Now this is going to go towards creating affordable housing. It's like, but what about the other shit? Like, what about all that money that you guys- all that money? Like? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like where'd that all go, I want right? to see oh, the spreadsheet. Oh, it went to write this It went bill. to Greenwind. Yeah. <laughs> it went to Greenwind to build the administrative a bunch of costs to be able housing. to, you know, put it all so, together. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just like, you know, we're, we're in this vicious cycle of people, that, you know, politicians like, and it's the same thing with the Airbnbs, right? It's like, okay, registry has to be a primary residence, all of this stuff. First of all, who's policing it? Like, journalists are doing a better job policing the shit than the, than the government, right? By check, like, checking a registry and then checking to see if stuff on Airbnb is in the same location, right? Because like, there's like, they and, and then they're like, oh, yeah, a bunch of, uh, if you look at the Airbnb listings, they're all declining. Well, there was a global pandemic between then and now, right? So maybe that had something to do with the fact that Airbnbs uh, were, were, were exiting the market and going to the long-term hen- rental stock. So like, I, I just, I, I, to me, it's, it's virtue signaling on the government's part to keep some people happy to say, hey, we tried our best to get some more housing stock here. Uh, you know, it didn't work. Let's keep blaming it on somebody else, but we tried, right? So, so, so 
we assume that they all have a reason for their decisions, right? So, so like, what outcome are we heading towards? Like, what, like, what, what the hell are if we if we're saying that we're trying to get more housing supply on, and we keep making decisions that, yeah. like, the dumbest people in the city can figure out won't help. Like, right. what is, what are the decisions being based on? They keep keep the housing market on a bull run and get yours while you can. Like, that's it. That's the same thing with development charges where it's like, how, how many stupid things can we impose to give us another excuse to tax owners that doesn't really accomplish anything, but like the development charges, they, they increased by 110%. What was that? 2016. They're like, Oh, it's for affordable housing. We're going to use it all for affordable housing. Well, has, how much housing did they build as a result of that? Was it directly quantifiable? I'd love to see the, how much money they're collecting on Airbnb registrations now. I'd love to see how much money they collect on this new program. I'd love to see how much money is collected on the non-resident speculation tax. But you can't find any of that information because this shit's yeah. not working. They don't want Where's all the to- Section 37 <laughs> money for parks? Like, where, where is all this shit? Where, great question. Like, what, like, and honestly, I, I'm going to read you an email I have because I have a, a site in for, for, for application right now. And we're, we're just... Like we're just waiting for a community meeting, right? And we're just waiting for the ward councillor to give us the date, right? Like everybody's waiting on the ward councillor. So, so, so the, 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 the city planner saying he's followed up with the council office a few times, but hasn't received a response. He said on Monday or Tuesday, we can reach out to the councillor directly if we want to, which we can do. So, so this is two weeks just waiting to hear back for a date. I imagine they have email and like calendars and it isn't too hard to set a date for this, but like these stupid little, like this, can you count it as a delay? I, for me, it's two weeks. You know how much two weeks cost me on, on this project? Like honestly, well, that's it, man. They're, think they're, about they're it. just they're just throwing shit on the wall to anything they can virtue signal to make it seem like they're trying to help housing affordability without doing the one thing. They they're all trying to avoid the one thing that they know for a fact, or at least I would hope they would know that making it easier to develop. That's the number one thing. They, you want to help housing affordability. That's the simplest path. We are one of the slowest countries to get zoning, get approvals, to get these things. And we we charge the highest development charges and now we're adding inclusionary zoning. So we just keep increasing the cost of doing business in Toronto. We're doing everything in our power to make it harder to bring new housing supply to market. And then we wonder why the housing is not affordable here. It's just fascinating to me. While, while somehow demonizing the people taking all the risks and, and, and trying to act, listen, there's no doubt a developer is in it for the money, okay? Like, so fucking what? Let them make the money so that they can produce the supply. Get out of the way. No, people will, if you produce a piece of shit, people either won't buy it or they're going to let you know it's a piece of shit and it's going to become valueless. Like, and, and, yeah, and people I mean, sh- it's the poli- like it's like saying the politicians aren't in it for the money. Like if they're not taking salaries, then maybe I'd believe it. Right? No. I, I just I don't understand the whole thing. It, no, it's, it's not. It's we're we're not going clear, for a thirty-story tower in a place where you're allowed to build six stories. You know, it's like right. we're in the guidelines. And what you're describing actually is a really interesting dichotomy because like they've literally broken it to the point like people are like, oh, like missing middle, gentle density, blah, 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 whatever. Like the, the economics of building, I work with almost exclusively infill investors. The economics of building infill are absolutely garbage because it's costing you the same amount to do, that you got to do the same bullshit to zoning bylaw amendment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I say this all the time. It's like s- secondary plans exist. Just let them be zoning. Like it's not that, I mean, it, it obviously is that hard, but like, why is it that hard? Right. If, like you're literally if, paying somebody a quarter million dollars to write what the secondary plan states and then spend two years convincing the municipality that the province was right in the context of your site. It's like and then you leave it up for opinions and, and debates and right. interpretations. It's like, right. it's but let, like but let's look at the, there's a book. There's a book here. We've written a book. Here's the rules. Go. Here's the here's the other side of the argument. Right. And I'm not saying I agree with it. Look at what's happening in China. They allowed things to, to get processed quickly. They allowed things to just basically fly through under the radar. And then they're demolishing 
thousands of units because they built these communities, you know, that don't have enough, um, you know, people to live in them or, or in locations that weren't suitable. So the whole sure. premise well behind done. this type of process, Daryl, and you hate to hear this, but this is what it is, is to allow the right decisions to be made because there are a ton of ugly buildings in Toronto and we have a lot of great projects, but there's every once in a while you drive by a building and you just go, man, how did they let that one get built? Right. And they that's what they're trying to, avoid. It to be built is the, but problem. that's what they're trying to avoid. They're trying to make sure that the, the next decisions. And the problem is the timeline of, you know, the planner's career and the counselor's time in, in, in power and everybody else's is just not long enough. It's almost like there should be some really fixed positions that we aren't going to have uh, go away because otherwise people say you know what in seven years i'll be gone i won't have to deal with this let's just uh -huh. get around this long enough so then that way these guys don't uh make me look bad just get me right. to the point where i'm making a hundred grand per appearance and out of this mess yeah yeah, yeah I don't I mean, it's, it's really interesting the comment about uh, ugly buildings it's really interesting when you go through the lineage of proposals along a development uh, site, a, a particularly like interesting location, uh, like a premium location. It's funny because a lot of the times you'll go through the proposals and you'll, you'll just see the degradation of quality each time they go back to the city, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're losing margin and they're, they're being fought on density. And okay, so now we can't afford to do that type of facade. We got to simplify. And before you know it, it's just the same building that everyone else already built. Have well, you done like a video about that? That's such an interesting. No, I should. I, yeah, I should. I have a bunch of those architectural plans saves. Yeah, yeah it's good. I'll do it. I'll do it with you. We could use my property as the subject. I have all the documentation. Nice. It's insane because what we originally designed, designed, could, and should be built within the parameters of all of their documentation, but somebody in the city says, "Hey, I think maybe this." And we did this over there. And, and they know this, you're not going to go to the OMB. Oh, fuck. If, I mean, you're not, if you're paying a lot oh, of interest at the beginning, like you're paying more later if you just let right. it drag on for years. Well, that's the thing, man. I mean, it's, it only makes sense to go to the OMB if you're in a, a large scale project, right? And, like, and even if they're wrong, it's like, what recourse do you have to tell them that they're wrong? You have to go to the OMB. And then the province will all probably rule with you. But then you spend another quarter million bucks. And now your project's underwater, right? Quarter million bucks. Right. You're spending a quarter million bucks on consulting fees if you're lucky. Right. But yeah. then you have to add interest for how many yeah, more years? Sure. Okay. No, like it's crazy. And some of these projects, I mean, mine's a tiny little project and I'm paying so much interest. It makes my ears bleed just yeah. thinking about it. So some of these projects like are just shelling out ridiculous sums of money every month waiting on an email from that counselor to set a meeting to get the process to the next point, you know, where a bunch of ninnies have to give you their opinion. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I don't know about that tree right there. That trees, uh, I think it should be a coniferous tree because you know, I, I, I went <laughs> to school one day and yeah, I saw a Blue Jay and now I get five minutes in front of everybody on YouTube. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's insane. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. The stuff that they put in front of us. And, and I mean, we want to just build quick. Right. And we have targets. And I don't think like the market won't let a developer get away with like. You can't charge 1900 bucks a foot when everybody else is charging 15. It's just, it's right. not going to happen. Right. So what's going to happen? You, well, maybe depending on branding and blah, 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 somebody could, but like the market won't do that. As what's a what's whole, the highest right? price per square foot project or that's the most recent sold project, Jordan? I mean, 33 Yorkville seems to be doing quite well at 22, 21. What about 50 scholar though? That thing was at like 2,600 yeah. bucks a foot. Yeah. Different type it doesn't of sell. I mean, it, it doesn't it, sell, but it was at twenty six hundred. Yeah. I mean, thirty three Yorkville is like it's your upper end of a commodity product, right? Like it's a very nice commodity Typical product. Typical product, great area. Yeah, it's not a boutique luxury like one. It's not like eighty nine Avenue, right? With this like Wengel flair. It's just you know, it's 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 a really nice location and nice finishes, um, but it's not like this spectacular build. But it's selling really well. At uh, 2,200 a foot, right? 2,100. But it'll look like just like most of the other buildings that are being built. Like it's yeah, not going to be, be a 90 by iconic. 90, 90 by yeah. 90 square that goes up off of a podium that has some like weird shit around the balconies to make it look. We'll make that glass blue. 
Yeah, yeah. let's I'll have a let's blue, just nice blue tint. Have you guys thought some, about changing the glass to blue? Let's make it green and call it emerald. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> no, they got rid of that Jade. one. Yeah. <laughs> what was it called? No, the one at Young and Shepherd. Was Wasn't yeah, it called yeah, emerald? That was, that was the last green glass one I saw. I think. I don't know. There, no, there's one downtown. I think. Right. It may. It may be one of the last buildings with a little bit of detail in it that's different than the others. With its so little this, swoop. Today, today's show has been uh, very informative. I think uh, wow. you guys have added a lot of content for our listeners, so we're really appreciative. Um, we've had you both as guests before individually, but I think this is a great idea to have you both back again. Um, yeah, you know, in the future. Format. Yeah, and you got next like the boy and the and the farm kid too. It's a nice little nice little contrast. The next yeah. the next crisis that comes comes up, we'll be able to discuss it and. Um, Check out Daniel Foch, uh, Foch Family Real Estate, uh, Royal LePage, easy to find online, Jordan Scrinko, Precon, uh, again, easy to find online, guys, great resources for anybody looking to uh, buy or sell in those markets. Daryl? Nice to see everybody. Thank you. As always. Thank, Thank you. you for the, teaching uh, us something today, guys. The invite. I don't think we did yeah, that. This was fun. Yeah, big time. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Enjoy your Sunday. You too. Have Take care, guys. New on CuriosityStream, grab your decoder ring. We're cracking the world's most famous encryptions. From the mom who took down the mob to the Zodiac Killer. See how the pros hide their secrets in plain sight on Cracking the Code. Plus, it was impossible to recruit intelligence agents without recruiting war criminals. Meet the retirees of the Third Reich who gathered Cold War intelligence for the U.S. on Nazis and the CIA. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.